Good morning. This is the breaking business news on RTHK Radio 3's Money for Nothing on Wednesday, the 12th of August. We bring you the business news that's in tomorrow's newspapers. And I'm Richard Harris. Your business headlines this morning. China devalues the yuan to a three-year low. Markets everywhere take a tumble as traders try to work out the implications. And Greece agrees a bailout in principle. And in other news, US officials have discovered Ukrainian hackers have been stealing corporate press releases on earnings and then profiting by trading on the inside information. Five traders have been arrested. It has to be a China day today after the dramatic news yesterday of the first serious devaluation of the yuan for, well, forever. To lead us through what's happened, we have a bevy of long-term Asian analysts. First up is a man who's been a China sales trader and an Asian old hand for many years, Andrew Sullivan of Haitong Securities. Then we have another long-term observer of the local markets, banker, editor of Regulation Asia, and my fellow business columnist of South China Morning Post, Peter Guy. He wrote recently of the local fund industry, everyone wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. But first, our fund expert and regular Wednesday guest host, Stuart Allcroft, and a man who over the last 25 years has seen China emerge firsthand. Good morning, Stuart. Good morning, Richard. Well, this looks pretty momentous to me. I mean, I'm looking at a chart of the renminbi right now, and uh, it's strengthened continually since uh, 2010. A couple of little wobbles here and well, there. And before then, too. And, um, yeah, mm. but if you look mm. at this last move if on the chart, it looks like a flagpole sticking up. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, the devaluation overnight, I think um, maybe they're trying to get in a little bit ahead of the Fed, aren't they? Because the Fed's going to be... Uh, probably increasing rates in September. So, as they've said, they want a bit more flexibility. And, uh, you know, what would happen if the Fed increases rates? It's probably going to strengthen the U.S. dollar. Um, many people are forecasting the U.S. dollar to rise by as much as 20% against a basket of other currencies um, over the next two or three years. And, you know, that's a pretty uh, aggressive target. But if uh, China wants to have some flexibility, it needs to take action now. Yes, well, we're all going to be reading the tea leaves on this one, I think, for the, for the next few days. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, China yesterday carried out the biggest evaluation of the renminbi in two decades with a 1.9% downward move. China's central bank said the move was a one-off depreciation, although traders took this with some scepticism. The midpoint will now be based on overnight global market developments and how the currency finished the previous trading day. David Wu, currency strategist at Bank of America Merrill Lynch, looks at the motives of the People's Bank of China. I think the currency, they're moving towards a more flexible exchange rate regime. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of this more flexible regime, first of all, is so that they can lower interest rates. And then as interest rates come down, Obviously, you're going to see more capital outflows from China. Yes. So as a result, the renminbi is going to go down. There's no question about this. But by doing it this way, they're going to be able to tell the whole world, you know what, we're letting the currency go down. But this is not only going to be good for China, but it's going to be good for the world economy as well. Well, the move comes in the wake of weak economic data over the weekend. Uh, exports dropped 8.3% in July from the same period last year. Far more than expected. It was its biggest one-day change since 1993, since China abandoned its currency peg for a managed float in 2005. The renminbi's daily fix is now 6.33 against the dollar, that's uh, yesterday, compared with a renminbi 6.12 rate the day before, that's 6.33 today. The offshore yuan, CNH, uh, that's the Chinese yuan in Hong Kong, the offshore yuan is 6.41 to the US dollar. And they're the lowest rates against the dollar in almost three years. But is it enough? 
for one thing, you know what? One and a half percent devaluation of RMB is not going to turn around China's nope. export prospect at all. So I think from that point of view, this is important. But I think even more important is the fact that we need to recognize they did this today in order to basically ease monetary policy more aggressively. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things I've been writing about very extensively is this whole notion of impossible trinity. What's impossible trinity? Which is notion that no country can have a fixed exchange rate and enjoy independent monetary policy and have a capital account open at the same time. China's no exception. I don't think it's a coincidence that this thing happened today, three days after the September, you know, after basically the dump on payroll on Friday, validated, you know, expectation that the Fed could be hiking rates mm-hmm. in September. Because there's no way that the Chinese can lower interest rates at home, trying to defend their RMB while the Fed is trying to hike rates. So what he's saying is that China wanted it all and it wanted it now. Strong currency, strong exports, be independent. But as Stuart said, now that the Fed looks to be raising interest rates, something had to give. The move caught traders off guard that they expected China to boost its economy through measures such as cutting the bank reserve requirement to boost lending or cut interest rates. David Wu still reckons it's about lowering Chinese interest rates. They're trying to lower interest rates. You know, like a lot of your, your viewers probably don't even know this. Seven-day repo rate in China, which is the benchmark rate in China, today is still higher than where it was two months ago when the stock market peaked. They have not been able to lower interest rates because they've been trying to defend the currency. So by letting the currency go, capital outflow. exactly. So from that point of view, what happened today is it's basically capitulation. There is no question it's a capitulation. And I think this means more maybe weakness, but also you should become somewhat less concerned about downside risk to Chinese growth. David Wu of Merrill Lynch. China's move to devalue yuan had a knock-on effect around the world with markets falling across the board. The weakening of the currency makes exports uh, from China uh, or exports to other countries more expensive. The S&P 500 in New York did 1% to 2084. The Nasdaq lost 1.2% to 5037, shedding what it gained on Monday. The European Stocks Index fell 1.9% to 3605, with export to Germany off a big 2.7%. Likewise, exporters represented by the Japan's Nikkei shed 0.4% and South Korea's Kospi fell 0.8%. The sell-off took the MSCI Emerging Markets Index into bear market territory, having fallen 20% since last September. Normally, the devaluing country's stock market benefits immediately, but the Shanghai Composite was pretty well flat at 3,928, while Hong Kong fell just 0.1% to 24,498. But inside the index, there was real disruption as airlines and oil stocks were hit, and exporters surged on expectations of the currency move which improved their competitiveness. In Asia, the Malaysian ringgit and the Indonesian rupiah hit lows not seen since the Asian financial crisis 17 years ago. The Japanese yen hit a two-month low of 125.08 yen to the US dollar. Jeremy Cook of World First summarised a hectic day trading. Obviously, uh, the yuan fell off quite dramatically. Other Asian currencies, the Singaporean dollar, the Thai baht, for example, also getting hit hard. Um, Australian dollar, New Zealand dollar, Canadian dollar, anyone who really exports commodities to the factory base within China also also getting hit. On stock markets, the luxury, luxury shares, people like Hermes in France and Burberry, who typically sell into China and have done so much business in China recently, also falling as well. So there was, there was quite, a, quite a bit of red on screens today. The euro and the pound were flat against the dollar at $1.10 and $1.56 respectively. Ten-year treasury yields fell as investors took some security in the long bond as the yield moved down to 2.14%. Golden oil barely moved. Greece has agreed a new 85 billion euro bailout deal in principle. It now requires political approval. 
Greece agreed to a new independent privatisation fund and further reforms to the welfare system. A deal on a three-year agreement is needed to avert bankruptcy with a looming debt repayment on the 20th of August of about €3 billion. Euros. It's currently uh, 8.11 and without any more ado, let's uh, get into the chat with Andrew Sullivan, who's Managing Director of Sales Trading at Haitong Securities. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Richard. Well, I'm very pleased. We just happened to have you on today with, uh, uh, with these big moves. What are your thoughts? Well, I think, as you said earlier, I mean, a lot of the moves yesterday were the ine- you know, immediate knee-jerk reaction, you know, who's got US dollar debt, who's going to suffer, who should be more on the upside. I think today, you know, you may see some a little bit of bargain hunting on some of those stocks that may be oversold, but people will also be, you know, looking to reposition their portfolios on the basis of this news. And is this a sign of weakness, fundamental weakness in the Chinese economy? I think it's it's part of the growing pains of trying to move from that export-driven economy which they've you know, operated for years to a more consumption-based one, a more longer-term uh, economy, this, which is where they're aiming for. Uh, and that's caused a lot of pain in the short term. Uh, it, you know, they've been hurt you know, because they're still very much part of the global market and that's where a lot of their exports have gone and that market has slowed. So it's still part of the plan, but it's, it's one of those road bumps along the way. One of the things China's been wanting is uh, to be given entry to the special drawing rights uh, facility. The decision on that's been delayed for some time now. Do you think this will help to make that decision a positive one for China? Yes, I think so. I mean, as they say, they're going to move to a more market-based pricing of the yuan on a daily basis, and it'll be very interesting to see today, you know, that pricing timing uh, just after nine as to how the currency moves and how far they allow it to move. This is one of the things they've been asked to do, and, uh, you know, it's, it's another tick in the box. They know they're delayed in getting into that drawing rights you know, basket, but it's, it's another tick. It's been reported as well that the foreign exchange reserves in China have been falling over the last year. Uh, and again, presumably, this is another move to try to protect that position and maybe start to reverse that fall. I think that one of the issues China's had for some time is it's been a big holder of uh, U.S. treasuries, mm. um, and it's seen those you know, move along with the U.S. currency, which has caused it some concern, you know, considering its own domestic wanting to be a reserve currency. So it's got to try and play that you know, uh, move in how it uh, diversifies its assets in that so not to be too strong in any one area. Mm. Um, Andrew, uh, we had a story yesterday about uh, China reducing its holdings of US Treasury by about 180 billion. It's pretty well 10% of its um, total holdings. Now, on the one hand, people are worried about what impact would it be on the Treasury market, and in fact, there was nothing. But on the other hand, is this China repatriating money so it can support its economy? Well, there's probably some element of that, but they've had a policy in place for some time of diversifying and, you know, going for a more basket-orientated currencies. So, you know, they will obviously have been looking at other currencies and the euro uh, in order, as I say, to try and have a more balanced portfolio rather than just hugely dependent on the U.S. Uh, just looking at uh, a comment from senior Democratic Senator Charles Schumer this morning, he says, allowing the renminbi to be declared a reserve currency is akin to putting the fox in the charge of the hen house. Well, I'm not entirely sure what he means about that, but surely people are going to be throwing up their hands and saying this is competitive devaluation and unfair. I think the reality is that every country at the end of the day looks to move its currency with its you know, normal uh, interest rate moves. I mean, the Fed does it on a, on a weekly basis, and that has a far higher impact than and a longer-term impact. 
as has QE. I mean, you can't really say that the whole QE process hasn't impacted the US dollar and didn't manipulate it to the advantage of America. <laughs> so it's a, yeah, at the end of the day, every country has got to do what's best for its own economy. Now, now having seen this devaluation, does this make China stocks more attractive for international investors from this point going forward? I think you've got two issues here. One is the fact that obviously if they've devalued the currency and it, it's moving in that direction, people will be worried about the value of their investment in mm. China. You've also got to ask, you know, which part of the economy are you really looking to invest in and is that going to benefit from this move? Um, but I think at the end of the day, China is still a growing market. We may be saying, you know, that the growth isn't the 7% that we're officially being told. It could be closer to 5 or 4 but, I mean, in the U.S., we've got flat growth. In Europe, you know, we're, we're not going anywhere. So it's still got growth. And I think the other key thing is is the fact that, you know, we, we saw that bubble in the market as it tried to get a lot of companies to raise money through IPOs. And that was at odds with the fact of the 10% limit up every day. If you go for an IPO, it can go up far higher. But the reality is that they're still trying to reform the state-owned industries. The, the key government banks are still lending to the state-owned industries, and that's inefficient. The real growth for China is going to come from those small mid-cap companies. They will be creating jobs. They will be creating real wealth. But they can't really raise money because the state-owned banks aren't lending to them. So the only way they could raise that money is through the stock market. So they, you know, they're trying to manage the whole thing uh, and get from A to B, which is their objective. But whether it's in a straight line or a zigzag, it'll... You know, They'll bring on Stock Connect to Shenzhen then, presumably. Well, I mean, it, it's planned. It, you know, they, they certainly want it to go. The trouble is that having seen the uh, almost debacle of the last couple of weeks with stepping in and having half the market suspended, it's not likely to have <laughs> such a, uh, a rosy-tinted glass view as, it, as the uh, Shanghai one did. Yeah, but it has the growth companies. It has the interesting companies anyway, doesn't it? So that's, um... Well, all of these things do. I mean, the, the fact is that you know, investors are getting access mm -hmm. to tobacco stocks, to defence stocks, to things that they didn't have access before, which is what they want. But with regard to the Chinese policymakers, it's a bit like whack-a-mole, isn't it? I mean, uh, you want the companies to have more money, so you boost the stock market. You boost the stock market, people trading on margin in debt, the stock market falls, uh, people have crises because they, they have to pay more money back. Um, it's really very difficult, isn't it, for the Chinese to manage how things are going, and especially when you say they want to stimulate the private sector – of the economy, move things away from the state-owned industry, but it's also very slow. Well, I think everything is very slow. Um, I mean, the, the idea that you can change overnight would be just ridiculous. Um, but it, the, the, the thing is, I suppose, that, that one of the sort of key policy problems for China is the fact that it runs a command economy, but you can't run a command stock market. Uh, that's, you know, by the very nature of the market, it will you know, react to whims and, and, and interest. But they are moving in the right direction. They are, you know, they're, they're, they're pulling various levers to see what happens. And we've seen that over the last, you know, couple of months where they've, you know, taken courses of action and then waited to see the reaction, as you, as you said earlier. People have been expecting a, a, a rate cut or a, a lowering of the triple R rates or something like that. Um, we, you know, they've they've tried that and it hasn't had the desired effect. So they're trying something else. There are lots of different avenues of things they can try, um, but it's all a learning process. Um, and the last thing I would ask is, you know, this is obviously going to have some positive impact in Hong Kong, I would have thought, because if China government is admitting that they are concerned about the positive impact of the US dollar, that can only be good for the Hong Kong dollar, right? 
Well, I think so. And I think, I think also the fact is that, you know, China, as we've said, wants to become a reserve currency. It wants to show itself as a world player. It wants to move more towards market practices. That, that's already been said in the, uh, in the sort of annual party statement. And the other thing key to remember is, you know, this action's taken place while the, the, the senior leaders are meeting together. So, you know, this isn't a, an ad hoc, let's, let's, pull this lever and see what happens type of thing. This is obviously, the, you know, the, the meeting's been going on for a few days. They're trying something. And, and I think we'll probably see more policy issues come out over the next couple of weeks. Good. But it is a change of policy. And uh, I think that there is some merit in saying that the authorities are trying to get closer, if you like, to, to market forces coming in here. But could the currency overshoot on the downside? Um, I mean, that's always a possibility, uh, you know, without doubt. But I suspect that the, you know, the growth that we're seeing out of China and the interest that will remain in China as one of the larger markets and the fact that the, the whole economy is looking to change to that more uh, consumption-driven e- economy, uh, you, 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 we have to remember that, you know, there's a huge growing middle class in China. Um, you know, because of the one-child policy, there's, there's a lot of married couples that are inher- going to inherit two sets of wealth when their parents die. You know, China has got to manage all those expectations, uh, and that, that is what's attractive to a lot of companies that want to sell goods into China still. And let's uh, talk about exports for a second. You know, it's almost like the shot heard around the world. Uh, a lot of analysts are saying that because we're going to have cheaper exports into China, we're going to not have the inflation that the Fed is looking for. We're not going to have interest rates rising in the U.S. anytime soon. I, th- I think that you, the U.S. policy at the end of the day is, is more geared. I mean, the, the growth that they're seeing is within the U.S., and that's what the Fed is looking at. It's seeing the uh, employment numbers coming to a range that it's happy with. It's starting to see some wage growth, which seems to suggest that the slack in the employment market is being taken up. Um, and it, uh, as I said at the beginning, you know, the U.S. will do what is best for the U.S. government, for the U.S. economy. That's what the Fed's mandate is. Yeah, that's what um, – it's just economics, isn't it? It's uh, everybody doing what they want to do, the invisible hand. Well, thank you very much, Andrew. Much appreciate you coming in today. Uh, just the right person to speak to us about this uh, move uh, in the renminbi. That's Andrew Sullivan, Managing Director of Sales Trading at Haitong Securities International. Are you planning your career or wondering what kind of job would suit you? The Youth Employment and Training Program of the Labour Department can help you find your direction – The program provides free pre-employment training in different fields and offers practical experience with pay through workplace attachment and on-the-job training. If you are a young school leaver hoping to start a career, find out more at www.yes.labor.gov.hk. We built this city. We built this city. Well, we're now going to speak to Peter Guy, who's editor of Regulation Asia and, and columnist at South China Morning Post. Uh, Peter's a banker, financial analyst, uh, specialist in regulation, and now market commentator and fellow contributor to the business back page of the South China Morning Post. Good morning, Peter. Uh, good morning. Now, I'm going to have to change the article I've just written for Friday. <laughs> These things happen. <laughs> That's right. Well, at least, least will be new. Um, you recently wrote about the confusion and uh, missing communication and confidence between fund managers and clients. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. It's, um, 
it's quite an easy question in that uh, for any listeners out there, can you really understand what's going on in your investment account? Uh, that's the impression I get when I talk to uh, uh, almost almost every investor out there. And uh, um, and really, is the unit trust mutual fund industry uh, truly serving the interests of investors, especially after the financial crisis? Uh, I just see lots of confusion and um, wrong expectations out there. Now, is the confusion in people's understanding of the funds or understanding of investment in general or the way they're advised? Um, it's, it's a combination of, of all of those. On one hand, um, you have an expectation here, especially in Hong Kong and uh, with uh, uh, new Chinese investors, that uh, um, uh, that a mutual fund, I guess, is a bank account. And then you have the, uh, the but mutual funds can go up and down. That's right. So it's not a bank account. In that that's thing. right. But they're treated like that in the United States because in, in the U.S., as I point out, only fifteen percent of people actually buy any stock uh, given their four hundred one k tax driven investment system. But in Hong Kong, you have a uh, people who historically have liked speculating starting to move to mutual funds, but mutual funds don't dominate the landscape, but they're, but they're sold in a way that's very detached and, and nonsensical. As I point out, you look at the buses and subway stations here, they, they actually have uh, ETF and other mutual fund ads, along with that uh, SFC, Security Futures, uh, Securities Futures Commission, uh, it's like a warning on a cigarette packet. That's they? right. But it's, it's even more undecipherable, and it's plastered next to a luxury, uh, a luxury purse ad. And I don't understand what mutual fund companies are trying to do. What are they? How are they trying to reach people? And how are they trying to energize? Stuart, you're uh, you're the person who knows more about funds than uh, anybody I know. What do you think about this? Well, Peter's got uh, some good comments and I would say some bad comments in, the, oh, in his dear. article. Well, we um, like debate on this show. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, the issue, uh, plastered adverts all over the place, it's the same in the US, it's the same in the UK, um, it's just in different locations. Um, if you go into any weekend newspaper in the UK, uh, you'll find adverts all over the place. There was a time a few years ago where uh, the fund companies were told they can't take more than three pages of adverts per paper uh, because they were taking so many, um, so much space. So it's just a different way of doing the same thing. Uh, if you go to China and on the road in from the uh, airport at Shanghai, a lot of the mainland fund companies were taking great big billboards to to promote their product, uh, and and they also use this. But I, I, you asked the question: Is the business really serving the interests of investors? It depends on which end of the business you're looking at. Uh, uh, my argument would be there is something out there for everybody. You just have to try hard to find it. And that's the key, isn't it? Because it's all about advice. And that's one of the things you exactly. were saying, Peter, in terms of it, it's the advice you get. Because there's so many funds out there. Which one do you choose? Yeah, it's uh, ultimately very confusing. As I said, uh, um, someone showed me to seek my advice. Uh, a typical fund, and they have all these confusing names and acronyms like uh, Mega Superfund 500 MSCI Good Plus. Good words. Good words. Uh, that Is mean it? nothing to me. You, you, uh, and then you look at it, and, and there's a hundred, maybe more different kinds of instruments. It, it would take me uh, and a qualified auditor certainly weeks to get through that. Um, but Frank, it's a fund. 
Is a fu- mutual fund, is it actually a good investment? I mean, Well, you know, 80% of them fail to beat the market. That's one thing certainly uh, the fund managers will, will never uh, broadcast. But if, but if you go online and search, the industry has built-in failure. And, and then a lot of that reason is because of the uh, management fees they charge. Yeah, uh, and that's, a, uh, that's an argument that's particularly prevalent in the United States where the exchange-traded funds business has taken off enormously. Um, it's somewhat true in the European marketplace. It's not so true in Asia because Asia is not such an efficient market and, and the efficiency of the market determines the ability to outperform the index. Um, having said that, you know, um, of course, uh, a lot of the reasons why such a lot of this jargon is used is because it's prescribed by the regulator. And if we didn't have to have uh, so much uh, prescription, as it were, you'd have uh, uh, probably a lot simpler language. It is interesting because funds, in a sense, are a reasonably safe way of investing. You know, the regulator doesn't say you can't buy this stock or you can't buy that stock or their warnings. And yet, Peter, mutual funds are regarded almost as really a very risky investment, much more risky than stocks in that sense. Yeah, as I said, um, one of the simple reasons why 80% fail is uh, because if you charge one and a half, two and two percent per year, you're already throwing an anchor uh, around your uh, around your uh, uh, portfolio, and and just just asking to underperform uh, most indices. So it's an industry. It's an industry that I think is really more interested in distribution and compliance rather than uh, truly educating investors, because there are, there are many problems with. Uh, with a lot of their arguments. Mm, so, so funds actually are quite a good way to invest, but difficult, not easy. Yes, it's, uh, it's not easy. Great. Well, thanks very much, Peter. I appreciate you coming in. That's Peter Guy, who's editor of Regulation Asia uh, and a columnist at the South China Morning Post. Well, Stuart, just finishing off, do you think this China uh, move, what are the ramifications likely to be, you think, over the next few weeks? Um, I think it will give opportunity for people to think again about China. Yes, currency has come down a bit, uh, but the move in the markets is significantly greater than the currency. So it doesn't actually make that big a difference. It just makes an attitudinal difference. Um, But I go back to what I was saying earlier. I do think that China is expecting something out of the Fed. The Fed, if it does increase rates... It makes a positive move for the dollar, and any positive move for the dollar is really good for Hong Kong right now. Mm, so we're going to see the chess pieces move a little bit, I think, over the next uh, few weeks. That's as long as they're not the deck chairs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's very important. Yeah. Uh, that's when interest rates go yeah. up. Anyway, Stuart Allcroft, chairman of City Trust, thank you very much for coming in. You're welcome. Uh, markets uh, opening today, actually slightly mixed. Sol down, Nikkei down, and Australia slightly up. Well, thank you again for joining us for Money for Nothing today. I'm Richard Harris. And the weather, it'll be sunny periods and isolated showers. Very hot in the afternoon with a maximum temperature of around 33 degrees. There'll be showers with a few thunderstorms in the next few days. Temperature at the observatory, 29 degrees. Relative humidity, 83%. Peter Lewis next, but first the news read by Jos Boaz.
China's move to devalue the yuan has had a knock-on effect around the world, with markets falling in Europe and the U.S. The weakening of the currency by nearly two percent against the U.S. dollar will make exports to China more expensive. London's FTSE 100 ended the day one percent lower, while the Dow Jones finished one point two percent down. Patrick Bennett, a currency strategist from the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce, explained the central bank's surprise move. To remain stable, that they wanted to reflect、uh, the balance of supply and demand.、Uh, that means, or has meant, that we've seen this, this what we see is quite a, a modest depreciation, and, and now we have to, you know, to seek where that new equilibrium is, and it's likely to be around these levels, or perhaps another half or one percent weaker. The mandatory provident fund authority says it's become aware of callers trying to contact MPF account holders. It says the suspicious callers claim to represent the authority and try to schedule meetings to discuss their MPF plans. The authority is urging the public to watch out for similar calls. Here's the authority's chief corporate affairs officer Cheng Yanqi. In no possibility would MPFA staff discuss with an individual scheme member his or her. Uh, MPF contribution, investment, etc. In no circumstances would MPFA、uh, approach an individual scheme member to discuss his MPF investment. The Greek Prime Minister Alexis Tsipras has recalled Parliament to ensure the passage of an international bailout deal worth up to 94 billion dollars by Thursday. Mr. Tsipras said the crucial nature of the situation justified the urgency.